there are thousands of events happening all around us that are looking for speakers. And at Mic Drop Workshop, we want to help events find amazing women speakers like you. We send out a free weekly newsletter with gig opportunities. So join over 200,000 subscribers at micdropworkshop.com slash newsletter. Okay, let's get started. There was kind of this lane that I could be in and, and somewhat own because no one's really talking about the pizzazz that comes with being a little bit more, you know, a little bit yeah. more on the authentic side, a little bit more on the present side, on all of these elements of relatability that I talk about that just change our relationships and, and really create this potential for growth, whether it be financial growth in the business world or personal growth because of your personal relationships. Welcome to Amplify with Jess Ekstrom, a show designed to help women get out of their head and into their zone of influence. Okay, so what does it mean to be a natural at speaking? Well, personally, I think it's a load of crap. Speaking can be taught, speaking can be learned, and we have to learn it somewhere. So when you see someone that is up on stage so effortlessly sharing their story, or it seems like they have all the confidence in the world, trust me, they have had insecurities before. That happens with anything. We work at it, we mess up. I could create a whole book about all of the mistakes I made. In fact, that's mostly what Chasing the Bright Side is about. Well, our guest today is also a dear friend of mine, Rachel D'Alto, and she might seem like she is someone who can be so effortless on stage. You've seen her on TV, but she has had to work at it. She started off as a lawyer, which is like the shock of the century to me, now turned TV host and speaker. You've probably seen her on shows like Married at First Sight. Her first time on TV, though, didn't actually go as planned. So let's bring on our guest, Rachel D'Alto. My very first TV appearance was on Fox Business. And I was so excited about it because I was like, I got this. And then I wasn't prepared because being on TV is, is very... It's, it's different than anything in the world because you have to speak in yeah. sound bites. And I just, after that one, I, one of our investors' sister was saying, you know, we need to hire a media person because Rachel clearly isn't capable of, of doing this what? because I rambled a little bit. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't get to the point quick enough. You know, it's a three minute segment, so you're not really hitting the points effectively. Yeah. And so... I took that to heart and I said, no, 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 I got this, but I'm going to go get trained. And so I went and I did some media training. One of my good friends was in PR. And so we really worked on those sound bites and just figuring out how to do it differently. And then you go into speaking and you're like, no, 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 no. Now you have to talk nonstop for 60 minutes. (laughs) Right. Now let's expand it. But that is crazy to me, Rachel, because you are like one of the most polished people I know. And so like, I mean, polished people on on camera. I, you know, after a few margaritas, like different story. No, I'm just joking. But you Very the fact true. that it was like not fire right out of the gate is something I love because it's like, oh, if this can be trained, then yes. this can be anyone. So what yeah, were some of the things like sets. in that in that media training in the beginning that you were like, oh, okay, this is what I gotta do to have a presence. 
Yeah, it's interesting uh, because it's just, it's figuring out the medium that you're working with and then delivering the content in a way that best resonates with the audience. And so for me, I had to look at things differently. This wasn't, at that point, I was I was still a lawyer. And so obviously, <laughs> lawyers can babble on forever. Nobody's cutting them off. We get to the point eventually, you circle around. Uh, but really, what I was trained in was figuring out how to create those sound bites. What are the, what's the 10 second clip that still makes sense if it lands on its own and, you know, really practicing that. And then I did radio. Like, I don't even know if people do radio anymore, but I did. There weren't even really podcasts. podcasts. Your ra- yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I was doing radio and radio segments back then, you know, on real radio stations were only also like five minutes long. So I was doing all day and night radio interviews yeah. and you just got better. And it was very similar to speaking when you first get in that you, you're not good. Yeah. <laughs> just like you're, you're not. And, and you that's okay. okay with that. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, even like this show, very different than speaking. Uh, like, I mean, there's parallels, but like, I have to realize, like, I mean, the beginning of this episode, this is our new, like, studio. I don't know where to look. I'm, like, fumbling the bag. But I'm, like, this, you have to be comfortable being a beginner in order to eventually be good at anything. As adults, like, I can't, it's hard to compute that. But, like, my daughter, (laughs) who's seven months, and I know you're a mom as well, it's like, well, of course, she she started crawling this past week, so now it's a whole different Mm -hmm. ballgame. But it's, like... Of course, she's going to face plant and she's okay with that because she's like, yeah, this is what I do. This is how you learn a skill. I got to like fall on my face a few times. As adults, it is like we immediately jump to, well, if I am bad at this, then that's just definitive like end statement. So what are the things that you tell yourself like in the beginning of anything, like writing your book, being a speaker? It's like, okay, I got to be comfortable with being bad at this. How do you, how do you get through that, especially with you being so public too. Yeah, it's a learning curve. I, I do think so. And it's, I think the hardest thing for me, and I still grapple with this, so maybe we, maybe we could resolve this on air, uh, but I <laughs> Please, have challenges. Please, step into my office. Yeah. <laughs> like, let, me, let me go lay down in the back. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's funny. I, I, I look at my books. And so I wrote a book a long time ago when I was doing all that initial TV. So we were still promoting the company and the, the branding expert that we worked with said, you need to write a book. And so we wanted to get you on air immediately. So I wrote this really terrible book and it was, I wrote it in like 10 days and we did a hybrid publisher and just got it out there to get me on more TV. And it worked. I, after that, I was doing the Today Show. I was doing Steve Harvey and I'm still embarrassed that it exists in the universe. And so it's, it's similar, like <laughs> looking at like the first, I did a, my first speaking gig was a TEDx. And so I look back at that. I was like, oh my gosh, can like, can I wipe that off the internet? Like, can we make that go away? (laughs) And so that's the hardest thing for me is still looking back at things because it's been so public along the way Mm -hmm. where I I just, I'm wondering if there's a hacker that could help me out or something because (laughs) that's still something I go with. (laughs) But here's the thing. I have a very similar story in that my first book was self-published. I was speaking at a lot of colleges. So I was like, I got to get a book. Self-published a terrible book. My <laughs> One of my first speaking engagements was a TEDx talk. So it's like, oh, let's go down the black diamond before the bunny hill. But I will say no matter what like the quality was of both of those things, the book and the TED talk, it still yielded me opportunity. And so- exactly. 
that's like, I think that's sometimes hard for people to wrap their head around. Sometimes it doesn't matter how good it is. It's the fact that you've done it. Would you agree? Yes. I completely agree. It's a hard one for me. For, it's a hard pill to swallow because because I'm not a perfectionist, but I also, I think the challenge is too, it's like when you've now done the reps and these things happened mm-hmm. 10 years ago and you look back and you're like, but I'm so much better now. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to reflect on it and realize that that led you to where you are now. It was the inspiration for a lot of the evolution and yeah. it's okay if it's out there. But I, do you think that it goes through seasons like... I feel like I have seasons where I am like, okay, I know how to ski. I'm not going to take up snowboarding. Like, I just want to ski. And then you have seasons you're like, let's shake things up. Let's let's snowboard. And <laughs> it, But it's like recognizing that you also don't have to always be going after the next skill. And it's okay to coast and use the things that you know. Like, you got married this year. You have you have a lot going on. Are you like, what season, I guess, of life are you in right now? I am in an enjoyment. And I feel like if we're looking at like the, the building of a house, the foundation's done, Mm -hmm. I'm just tinkering. Like that's where I'm at right now. Like the house is built. It's time to live in it. It's time to enjoy it. And it's time to like pick out artwork. Like that's, that, that is the, the analogy that I would give for my life right now. And I, but I remember being in that season of, oh my gosh, I need another degree. I don't, however, yes. uh, you know, where it's like, I constantly, before that it was the certifications and then the certifications weren't enough. So I went back to real school and I, it's not that certifications aren't real school, but it was just this constant pursuit of credibility and validation. Yeah. And now I don't know if it's age or kind of just hitting a stride where I'm thinking, I'm good. I just want yeah. to enjoy it. I love my job. I love my life. And yeah, I'm in the tinkering stage. I don't know that I'll live there forever. Eventually, I'll probably redo a room. But right now, I'm good. Have you ever wanted to guest on more podcasts? As a speaker, it's an easy way to practice your talking points and figure out what works, all while expanding your reach to already existing audiences. Go to podcastally.com and use the promo code AMPLIFY for 10% off their podcast guesting service. That's podcastally.com, promo code AMPLIFY. Need a boost to start your week? Every Monday, I send out a hype text as some food for thought for your week. Text me the word HYPE to 704-228-9495. That's the word HYPE to 704-228-9495. P.S. I actually read these texts and try to respond when I can. So tell me what you think of this podcast. You know, I, I was listening to some podcast episode, um, I think it was Armchair Expert, and they were interviewing Nora Jones, and she was like, I would have seasons of like totally dry creativity where I wouldn't write a single song, and I would say, okay, it's all used up. Like, it's gone. If my greatest days are behind me. All of my, you know, platinum hits are behind me. And then one day it just comes back. And so she's like, inspiration and like that ambition, I think, is fluid. And I think when we trick ourselves to to feeling like we have to live at that volume setting all the time, it gets us in trouble because then you start to panic. You're like, well, I should be writing another book. I should be speaking more. I should have a new keynote. I should be doing all these things. And it's like, no, that uh, things come in seasons. I mean, this year, like having Ellie, I've 
I've, you know, voice members memoed you crying many times. Like, does it get easier? I can't <laughs> sleep. I'm not doing anything. And so it's- And I think I said yes and no. <laughs> yeah, it gets easier and harder at the same time, I think was your answer, which is true. I appreciate. But yeah, like it comes and goes, which is why I loved the pivot that you made in your career. Like you started off really as like the relationship expert. And now it's like, no, that, that, pivotal point of relationships and human connection is relatability. And relatability is something that's like uh, what we're talking about now. It's like uh, understanding that we don't have to live at our highest volume in order to connect with each other. Like finding those connection points can be in lower settings. So what was it about relatability that caused you to like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to drive in this lane for a while. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it actually it it came from my work in TV on the relationship side, the romantic relationship side, and that was my foundation. And I've always said that uh, the foundation of all relationships is the same. It's just you know sometimes there's some side benefits <laughs> in certain versions of relationships. Um, but I was on Married at First Sight for a couple seasons, and when I left, I kept getting messages from people, and I talk about this in my keynote where. They kept saying, you know, why did you leave? You were such a relatable expert. And it really kind of gave me pause. And I thought, well, what does that mean mm-hmm. as a talking head behind a camera? What what are they feeling from me? How does this happen? And then I started really studying people who truly are relatable, people who truly connect. And it just, I found that there was just something bigger than what was already out there in terms of connection building and communication um, workshops and books and whatnot and realized that there was kind of this lane that I could be in and, and, and somewhat own because no one's really talking about really that kind of that little, the pizzazz that comes with being a little bit more, you know, a little bit yeah. more on the authentic side, a little bit more on the present side on all of these elements of relatability that I talk about that just change our relationships and and really create this potential for growth, whether it be financial growth in the business world or personal growth because of your personal relationships. It made me think of, um, you know, when you're a kid, did you ever like run into your teacher outside of school, like at the grocery store or something? And you're like, you're You're a real human. Yeah. (laughs) Also shout out to all teachers. I feel like if they go to the grocery store to like get a box of wine, they probably have to hide it under some like lettuce or something for students not to see them. I buy them the wine. Yes. I should do that (laughs) next time. But I, it, it was like a moment, you know, as a student, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a real person and it changes your relationship And I feel like that is a tactic in speaking that used to not be there. Um, It was like speaking was very credible, like high stakes, high energy, step into a role, like lights, cameras, action. Whereas now I'm seeing in the speaking industry, which is like what I teach at Mic Drop Workshop is like, no one wants to watch a speaker that they don't feel like, oh, that could be me one day. And if you're standing up there saying, well, like one day I had this idea and the next day I'm a gazillionaire and I'm going to space next week, no one is like, oh yeah, that could be me. And so talk about relatability in the speaking landscape. Yeah. And and in the speaking landscape, it really comes through our stories. And that's where Mm -hmm. I I find I connect the best with my audience is when I'm telling stories. And and it's interesting because I look back, part of the, the reason those earlier speeches I wish I could wipe is because it was such from a 
professorial standpoint of, you yes. know, this is oh how gosh. we do yeah. things. And these I are think the I said the word things. whom one time in one of my speeches. Was like, <laughs> Here to four. Gonna, yeah. Thou shall not ever. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just, it was very informative, I guess, I thought, and, and boring. Um, yeah. But I think we, as speakers, we connect through our stories and the stories that, whether it's the stories that humble us and the stories that, you know, paint the picture of our lives, but it, all the stories do is they create that, that authentic moment, that authentic mm. moment in time, unless you're a speaker that makes up your stories. Cause I know some of those too. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, I've, I've heard Please, that too. We can yeah. feel it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But like create those those opportunities for people to have a, a a shot into your life, have that camera where they kind of get who you are and and have seen the different versions of you. And and that's where I think in speaking that you could become so relatable and so connected. What's interesting to me is, and not to take like a hard right in this conversation, but what sp- I've been thinking a lot about speaking and artificial intelligence, because it's like, this is my job to stay on the the forefront of, of this in the speaking world. And I think that artificial intelligence can be a great tool for speakers to like, hey, give me a head start on my slide deck or like, hey, how do I sum this idea up in a soundbite or in a one-liner? But when we talk about like, you know, AI taking our jobs, the thing that it at this phase right now can't do is put like our personal stories and our personal fingerprints on how we talk about it. And so when it comes to being a relatable speaker, uh, the thing that artificial intelligence can't help you with is nailing those stories and saying like, this is when it happened to me. This is how I felt about it. And really like I contextualizing those lessons, like, sure, it can help you get you know, your slide did together or like get a step ahead and maybe the organization of your keynote, but it can't go through your life experiences and pull out those moments and put it into a relatable story. Agreed. Yeah. There's so many nuances of emotion that AI thankfully doesn't have right now. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's always going to be an asterisk and I think any conversation about it, because we don't know where this is going to end up and part of it's a little frightening, yeah. um, but we're still, the human connection can't be replicated. I don't care how good the computer gets. And yes. you know, at the end of the day, that's what we do. I think as speakers is really create opportunities for that connection to multiply and whether people are talking about connection on stage like I do or talking about, you know, positivity like you do or wherever people's, you know, their lanes are, um, it all creates connection. I was listening to an interview with Brian Chesky, the Airbnb co-founder, and he said that technology is like designed to make things efficient, but human connection is by design inefficient. So it's like harder and harder for us as technology advances to like put human connection first because it's it's inefficient to meet someone for coffee when you can shoot them a text. It's yep. inefficient like in this post-pandemic world to sometimes host an event with a thousand people when you're like, well, we could just go on Zoom and hit live stream. But the human connection is invaluable, that, but also inefficient. And so yes. I think that that's like the battle, you know, these days is like the relatability is so important and you have to get that through human to human connection, but also at the risk of like, sometimes it's inefficient and like companies and corporations are looking for efficiencies. 
Sure. And you know what? I do think that we can still grow relationships virtually. We can have connections. And and I think what we started with is talking about Clubhouse and there's obviously mm-hmm. we, we weren't even seeing each other and we were growing legitimate connections with people just yeah. through audio. Um, but that happens over Zoom. That happens over the phone. That happens over our voice text exchanges. You know, those those are all ways where they're inefficient is that they're not mass. This is not done at scale. It's still one-to-one. So whether you yeah. are trying to, you know, build a relationship online or offline, it has to be one-to-one. One-to-many is never going to create a a super long-lasting relationship. That's going to, it can create good feelings. Like if we're going to talk back to talk back about uh, speaking, obviously it's a one-to-many yeah. moment, right? You get on stage, yes, yeah. you could be speaking to 15 people or 15,000 people, but it's a one-to-many. We're going to make a connection with that audience and they're going to feel connected to us, but that's not quite a long-lasting loyal relationship yet. It has to be one-to-one and we have to be willing to put in the time. And I would argue that even if it isn't efficient in the short term, the long-term ROI is always worth the effort. And maybe the efficiency needs to be reevaluated because, you know, if you continually put in that effort and continually put in the time, it's going to pay off, whether it's going to pay off in an emotional ROI, financial. I mean, there's so many ways to benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, that's such a good point. Like I'm speaking in Texas tomorrow and I, oh, and there's an earlier flight that I could get on that if I like get off stage, get in my rental car and haul to the airport, I could get there. And then there's a later flight that would allow me to stay after I talk, meet people, sign some books. And I had to be like, no, we got to do the later flight because it's the one to many on stage, but then you have to get that that one-to-one afterwards. And it's just a, it's interesting because as a speaker, the audience member might feel like it's one-to-one, even though you are one-to-many. And so being able to fulfill that is necessary and can be tough sometimes as a speaker. One thing that I would love to end with that is a question that I get a lot in mic drop workshop, and it, it relates to relatability, is a lot of people feel like in order to be a speaker or an expert in their field, like they have to have some big story, you know, some like, oh, I climbed all seven summits or like I saved a million kittens from trees or whatever it might be. And what would you say to those people who are kind of counting themselves out because they don't think that they're credentials are there, even though they have something to say. Yeah, I was that person in the beginning where I actually went to um, the moth um, trying to find story inspiration because I I kept thinking, you know, I I don't have this catastrophic experience or this monumental experience. Like I've had a lot of experiences, but none that really fit into what I wanted to talk about. And so, you know, for anybody listening, my, my signature story is about a cat allergy. <laughs> like that is <laughs> something I lead with. And I literally, I have to show you this because it's turned, I have merchandise around him now. Let me see. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Okay. For anyone listening, that's not watching. She yeah. has this cat mug and pens that uh, are and now her calls. brand. 
Yeah. Oh so my I tell gosh, this I love story it. about Blueberry the cat and how I was willing to to forsake biology to to forge a connection. And so it's a, it's this funny story, but that's my story. You know, this isn't some sort of this is not an Everest moment. Although I'm still jealous of anyone who's able to do that. I'm pretty sure I'd die in like the first three feet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you don't need that. There's so many life experiences, whether they're monumental or they're funny or they're you know, quirky, whatever they are, they're yeah. your stories and they can, they can fit in ways that you've never thought of. So really working with someone to figure out, okay, what does this look like and how can I expand this out? And having those relatable stories, I would say, especially at the beginning of your talk, I always train students to like that first story, like make it a childhood story, make it something that people can like draw the connection point from where they're sitting to where you're standing and being like, oh, she's allergic to cats or, oh, she did lemonade stands or whatever it might be. Because then anything else you say, they now have a foundation. And that is the principle of you and your book, Relatable. Everyone go buy it. It is a great read, whether you want to speak or not. Um, I think a lot of leaders should read the book Relatable because you can connect more to your people, your teams, if you can find those relatable points. But where else can people find you? What's your what's your uh, channel these days? Is it TikTok? Because that's where I like to watch. No, you. yeah, that's what I consume the most because I just sit there laughing and then I show my husband. And he gets yeah. to be annoyed with me every four uh, minutes. I'm like, have, how are my you? My husband stopped team? reading my TikTok DMs. He's like, we're done. You have like a daily <laughs> limit of ten. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, did you see the polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mostly consume TikTok, but in terms of posting, it's been LinkedIn lately, which is yes. a very interesting shift for me because it's it's really just focusing on kind of where I'm going. But yeah, consumption TikTok. But if you want to connect with me, I'm pretty much on LinkedIn. Then you are on the right show. Yes. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your friendship Always. over the years. And I'm excited to see you in person in a couple months in Arizona. I know. I can't wait for December. Yeah, I can't wait. Awesome. You rock. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Amplify. If you are a fan of the show, show us some podcast love by giving us a rating and review. And give us a follow at Mike Drop Workshop and at Jess Ekstrom. This episode was edited and produced by Earfluence, and I'm Jess Ekstrom, your host. Remember that you deserve the biggest stage, so let's find out how to get you there. I'll see you again soon.